Are super teams dead in the NBA? I'm Matt Thomas, and this is In the Lab with Hoopsology. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of In the Lab with Hoopsology. My co-host, my partner in crime, Justin Goodrum, is busy tonight. He is he is busy doing other stuff this week, so I'm going to be flying solo for this episode. But shout out to him. Um, we have a lot to cover, so I don't want to waste much time in the introduction. I will mention we had a great chat. Last week that we posted early this week that you can check out with SB Nation's Sabrina Merchant, just talking about the future prospects of the WNBA, why they need to expand the Brittany Griner situation in Russia, along with the implosion of the Lakers and a lot more. So be sure to check that out. Give her a follow. Uh, give her some comments, some positive feedback on social media if you enjoyed that interview. Hope you do if you check it out. So I want to talk about, first and foremost, just the first round overall. Make some round two predictions as we get closer to that. Give you guys some of my picks for the most likely matchups that we're going to see, which not all are finalized at this point. We still have some um, deciding games to finish in the West, but we're going to go ahead and make our picks right now. And then we're going to talk a little more in depth about this Nets team, the collapse, the drama, the fallout with that. And I want to lead this, kind of finish this episode with a bigger discussion with what I teased in the beginning, why I think super teams, if they aren't dying, why I think they should, and what this year has kind of shown as far as that goes. We're also going to look at the past 22 years of NBA champions. So since the 2000 Lakers to kind of hammer home my little theory here. So like I said, a lot to review. Let's look immediately at playoff brackets. So this week we had Miami finished off the Atlanta Hawks in five games as predicted. They're moving on to round two as the one seed. The 76ers tonight finished off the Toronto Raptors in six games. Took a little bit longer than expected. Doc Rivers had some really interesting comments before this game about his history with being up three to one in series. I'm sure you all saw that. If not, you can check it out. It's kind of uh, some interesting comments throwing past teams under the bus. Kind of showing, you know, why maybe Doc Rivers has fallen out of favor in some cases in this league as a coach, but I digress. Milwaukee also finished out their series as the three seed against the six seed Chicago Bulls. So Milwaukee in five as predicted on this podcast by Justin and myself, they advanced to round two and the Celtics, as you all are well aware of by now, I hope swept the Brooklyn Nets. So Justin and my most embarrassing pick of the first round, undoubtedly, I had Brooklyn in six, which was the worst of the two of our picks. So shame on us both for picking Brooklyn in this series. 
looking on to the second round for the Eastern Conference, and then we'll talk about the West. We have a matchup between the Heat and the 76ers. And I will try and keep this a little bit brief with these first round proje- projections. So with Miami, they have a deep roster. They have gotten their momentum back ever since that Jimmy Butler, Eric Spolstra fight that we talked about. That is still kind of a major concern for me about the true chemistry of this team. And if Jimmy Butler is kind of causing this team to implode interiorly, but I do think they have a coaching advantage. They don't have a top-tier star advantage in this series. Embiid is the clear top-tier star, closely followed by James Harden, if he's all the way healthy, which is a little bit of an if this series. As you remember, it kind of had a slow start in that Philadelphia uh, versus Toronto series, but came on fire. Very strong finish tonight against the Raptors, so credit where credit is due. End of the day... I trust Spolstra and the depth of this roster on the Miami Heat, along with their, in my opinion, greater defense than the Philadelphia 76ers. I trust them to close this series out, but I think it's going to be contentious. I think it's going to go seven games because of the talent of Joel Embiid, but I trust Coach Coach Spolstra. And I trust, I guess, let's say it, heat culture a little bit more. Well, a lot more than I trust James Harden in the playoffs historically, as well as Doc Rivers playoff coaching in recent years, at least. So give me the Miami Heat in seven for that series, for those reasons. In our second series of the Eastern Conference, um, we have the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Boston Celtics. The Celtics have all the momentum in the world beating the Brooklyn Nets. Kind of feels like a team of destiny. I'm not going to lie to you as much as I, I guess, underestimated them, obviously picking the Brooklyn Nets. The Celtics feel like they have all the momentum in the world, a little bit more rested than the Bucks coming into this. You have Chris Middleton, injury questions. Is he going to be back soon for this series we're not sure it's very difficult to repeat and this is our our first playoff run for coach Yudoka uh, of the Celtics so we get to see what he can do as a coach so he's kind of kind of a question mark but obviously looked impressive in that Brooklyn Nets series look at, at this point in time I am not going to bet against Giannis. So although it goes against recency bias and I don't want to disrespect the Celtics again, so don't take it that way, but probably comes across that way because I'm going to pick the Bucks in six games, just riding on Giannis playoff insanity as the best player in this series. I do still think Giannis is a better player than Jason Tatum. I know that might be a hot take again with the recency bias. So give me the Bucks in six. And hey, Celtics may very well prove me wrong for a second consecutive series. I'll take the L if they do so. And credit where credit's due because they really exceeded all expectations against the Brooklyn Nets. Now, moving into the West, we had Phoenix 
defeating the New Orleans Pelicans tonight in game six. So Phoenix won in six games against the Pelicans. I had predicted this as a sweep along with Justin. We just didn't think that the Pelicans had anything. Then there was, of course, after that pick, a Devin Booker injury. Questions as to how soon he'll be back within the next two weeks or so, two to three weeks, depending on how he progresses. Is he going to be 100% even when he's cleared to play? So what was the strong title favorite pick? I picked the Suns to win the title this year before this playoffs began. Now there are question marks looming, especially with a Warriors team that is on fire and looking like they are in championship rhythm that they've displayed in the past. Dallas, so so Phoenix is on the second round. Dallas leads three games to two against the Utah Jazz. I think Dallas finishes this series as I projected. Dallas in seven games. We'll see. They might even finish them out in six games. See what happens there. But I'm going to assume for all intensive purposes that the Mavericks are advancing through this series. Jazz really underwhelming. I know that Rudy Gobert had that game winner, um, but the fact that Utah couldn't get this done early with a Lucas Dallas Mavericks team is really a red flag for me. I do think, especially if they go on to lose in this first round, as I mentioned last week, I do think the Jazz are going to need to blow things up here, make some big changes for their future. Um So my projection is the Suns will be playing the Dallas Mavericks in round two. Golden State Warriors also wrapped up their series against the Denver Nuggets. Poor Jokic felt bad for that dude. My MVP for this year, my MVP pick, I don't know if he'll win it. I don't know if the voters will be kind to him, especially since it was a bit of an underwhelming series by his standards. But his numbers were still pretty ridiculously good in spite of it being a down series for Jokic. I do think he has some more maturing to do in the playoffs. Um, He needs to stop getting ejected from playoff games. I I believe it was the first game of the series. He got ejected at the end of the game. Uh, A guy who it seems like at times you can mess with his, his temper. He runs a little bit hot in some situations, admittedly defensively. So in some cases, but in any case, you can't get tossed out of games as the MVP of the league. And as the most important, the bus driver, as the guys at inside the NBA on TNT might say of his team, Golden State Warriors look very impressive advance in five games. The Memphis Grizzlies with the Minnesota Timberwolves in arguably the most entertaining series of this first round. The Memphis Grizzlies lead three games to two. John Morant, as I'm sure you're well aware of, led this team to a 17-point comeback um, in the second half to go up three games to two. John Morant lays down maybe the greatest NBA playoff dunk in NBA history, and that sparks their lead. I believe they were down 11 points at that point, and John Morant at the end of the game hits the game-winning layup. Incredible game. Frustrating, but very entertaining series so far. I do think Memphis closes this out in six games. It did feel like there was uh, sort of a threshold that was crossed with Ja Morant's comeback, but this series has been so chaotic. 
it could easily go to seven games and that would not surprise me. I do still believe Memphis will win this. So for our second round matchups, let me zoom in here. We have Phoenix will take on Dallas is what I'm projecting. And Golden State Warriors will take on the Memphis Grizzlies. So let's talk about Golden State Memphis first. I think it's a little bit more interesting, at least for more interesting matchup reasons rather than injury reasons, which is why Phoenix versus Dallas is kind of interesting. Um, So I I think here's here's how I I think it's going to play out. I, I think the veteran leadership and experience that the Warriors have as a core unit is going to shine through in this second round matchup. I cannot pick Memphis at this point to rise above them, especially with some of the lulls that they had offensively and with John Morant specifically against the Minnesota Timberwolves. No disrespect to them, but I expected the Grizzlies to be a little bit more dominant against them. I don't know if they can keep up with the scoring pace of the Warriors, even though I do think they're a better defensive team than the Warriors. I I think that is going to uh, wear off to the Warriors when, when you have a very experienced coaching staff that has time to review the tape of this series. I think they're going to figure Memphis out in a seven game series. And I don't think it's going to go seven. I, I think Golden State is going to take care of business. To me, this Memphis team at where they are right now, given that performance against the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves, which has yet to be determined, they feel like a young Oklahoma City Thunder team back when they were trying to get past the Dallas Mavericks, back when they're trying to get get uh, get past the San Antonio Spurs, the Tim Duncan Spurs, back when they were trying to get past the Kobe and Powell Lakers um, or the veteran Dallas Mavericks, the Dirk Nowitzki Mavericks. That's what stage this Memphis Grizzlies team feels like uh, they're at to me. So like 2009 or or 2010 um, Oklahoma city thunder, when they had that core of Westbrook Harden and Durant, Uh, one of the great what-if teams in NBA history. So I think Memphis has very bright things ahead of them in their future, but give me the Warriors in five games. No disrespect intended. I just am very impressed with how the Warriors have come back recently. It's not insane to argue them as the favorites in the West right now. Speaking of favorites in the West, let's talk about that other hypothetical matchup. The Phoenix Suns we know will be there. The Mavericks, I am going to assume, are going to be there because of the injury concerns with Devin Booker, but also because of the remaining injury concerns with Luka. Give me the Phoenix Suns in six simply because I believe they will be better coached in this series, in this coaching matchup, and I believe they are deeper. The Mavericks are a younger roster. So again, I'm picking experience of Chris Paul of this roster overall, having made this run last year, I trust them a little bit more, but if Luca comes back super healthy in game one, all bets are off. Dallas could, they, they do have a puncher's chance in this series, but give me Phoenix in six. So there are our second round predictions. It promises to be, some very, very exciting matchups. I'm looking forward to seeing how it plays out. And 
I, I think that the winner of Milwaukee versus Boston, that's going to be your almost shoe-in team to um, advance to the NBA Finals. Phoenix versus Golden State, of course, I want to see Devin Booker come back before I uh, continue with my Phoenix Suns title pick. But uh, of course, if he comes back, I give the Suns a slight edge. Let's see how that plays out in this round two. And hopefully we get all these teams back healthy and firing on all cylinders so we can see the best competition possible. All right. We need to backtrack a little bit in time and and talk about the Nets. Do a little bit of a post-mortem here, so to speak. The Nets, of course, at the trade deadline, you can now think of it as a big mistake based on how things played out. But um, based on James Harden's wishes, the Brooklyn Nets traded James Harden for Ben Simmons. They also got a few other pieces out of that. They got Seth Curry. They got um, Drummond from that. Um, so, yeah. So they the Brooklyn Nets didn't just get Ben Simmons out of this trade, but it did seem like in mid to late March, we were going to get Ben Simmons playing on this roster. That's what it that's what we made. We, we were, um, excuse me, that that's what the impression we were made to believe was, uh, when this trade went down. And of course, Ben Simmons has yet to suit up and play any minutes for the Brooklyn Nets. James Harden has advanced to the second round, as we mentioned. So at the moment, seems like the Nets lost that trade. The future is obviously to be determined, but it does seem to me with my feelings on Ben Simmons. Now as someone who has defended his talent in the past and his abilities and has kind of been hoping for the best out of his potential. Um, I, I think the 76ers history, if I had to guess right now, history is going to tell us that the 76ers won this trade, regardless of whether the 76ers get to the Eastern conference finals, win a championship, anything like that. I, I think Harden's going to be p- more productive. I think there are legitimate questions about now, does Ben Simmons want to play the sport of basketball? And I don't know the answer for you. Um, but the the mental health thing feels a little disingenuous now at, at this point in time. And again, I'm not saying that to uh, attack Ben Simmons, but it feels disingenuous. He goes out with a back injury as well, uh, which actually I feel Stephen A. Smith made a good point on first take, I believe, where He said, you know, he chose the injury that trainers can't really do anything about to diagnose. Like they're, they're basically going off of your word when it comes to back pain. Um, Now, those of you that grew up when I grew up in, you know, the eighties and nineties, you remember watching Scottie Pippen play through a a pretty severe back injury against the Utah jazz Um, had to sit out for some time as well. But dude was in pain, putting it on the line for his team when he still had been dealing with um, with the contract issue that that terrible low paying contract that he signed early in his Bulls tenure. Um, so seeing something like Ben Simmons 
sit out all four games of this series when we were expecting him back in March initially. Now, maybe there are more serious injury concerns that I'm not aware of, but it's it's not what the track record of Ben Simmons has shown. So it's it's something very concerning, especially when you have your alpha dog, your face of your franchise, Kevin Durant's Durant is a competitor. Look at even in 2019, what he did against the Raptors when his Warriors lost that series. He went out there and tore his Achilles, obviously not intentionally, but he went out there, put it all on the line, had to take a season off afterwards. So this isn't 90s Bulls. This is recently Kevin Durant, the head of your team. And you're telling me these guys are going to mesh well on the Nets roster moving forward? I don't know. I I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> color me skeptical at best. Um, so this Nets team, I think, could have competed for the title had they been able to keep James Harden based on the output they were having. Um, but look, ultimately, who is to blame for this loss? I blamed the Lakers not not even making the playoffs their terrible season on management i am going to blame management as well for the nets problems here um and, and look the you could definitely see in like an alternate reality uh maybe ben simmons fooled them or maybe this plays out differently where ben simmons comes in he's the playmaker that they needed the more importantly maybe so the defender that they needed and maybe this works out you can see where the vision is so some of this is bad luck but the nets were constructed this year as an older roster a lot of savvy veterans uh the joe harris injury of course turned out to be very very big a, a very big deal he would have helped them out a lot so there is some circumstance that goes into play here but i think construction of this roster and let's take it back to the very beginning of the season where um you know a certain pandemic was still a huge deal in the nba rather than fighting for kyrie let me make this point and I think you guys may disagree with me on this point. That's okay. Let's talk about these ideas. When Kyrie early on made his personal decision that I know a lot of people in NBA media, a lot of people in general disagree with, the Nets decided we're going to bench him. Now, if you look back, I'm going to connect the dots on this, but look back last year in the postseason the Blazers were not going to be allowed to have home fans or is a very small number, like maybe a thousand fans or less. Damian Lillard took to Twitter and I don't remember exactly what he said, but he said, my opponent is going to have all these fans here. We don't get to have any home fans, huh? And made a stink about this instantly, instantly. I kid you not. You can look it up. Instantly, the city changed their guidance and the Portland Trailblazers were allowed to have fans in their arena in one of the more strict states of Oregon. They changed the city ordinance for these playoff games. And I personally refuse to believe with the commerce that the, the Brooklyn Nets bring in 
if the Nets franchise had fought a little bit more for Kyrie, and you can argue they shouldn't have, that's certainly an argument. But if they had fought for Kyrie in terms of a competitive getting higher than the seven seed, if Kyrie sticks around and is, is able to play more games in the season, we could be talking a different story. We could be talking, you keep James Harden. So I think not sticking up for your player, even if you disagree with his personal decision, really, really came back to bite Brooklyn's management. That's one of the cases that I would make that I don't think anyone out there is really talking about. You have several dominoes fall into place. And, and maybe you're of the opinion that, hey, this is totally Kyrie's fault for his personal choice. You can certainly believe that. That's another argument. I just think that management top-down, you sign off on what happens to your roster the rest of the way. Um, I A lot of talk has been made about KD's legacy after this first-round exit. I actually don't think it's as big of a deal as a lot of other people say. Um, I think KD sealed a little bit of a step down in his overall legacy when he went to the Warriors. I, I think it kind of cheapened his legacy a little bit. But KD's legacy, look, I'm not trying to take a shot at KD in this segment. He's going to be the greatest scoring small forward of, of all time. Maybe not cumulatively, but as far as a scoring threat goes, he is arguably the greatest scorer we have seen in the NBA. He's in that conversation for sure. And a seven-foot fast small forward who has playmaking ability similar to a guard who can do whatever he wants in the court take a shot wherever he wants on the court and drain it um i mean he he has a solid place in nba history no doubt um we talked about ben simmons and the questions there uh, i think what what i would do moving forward is the same thing i would do moving forward for the lakers although i think the lakers need to find their identity. They obviously shifted away from being a defensive team. They got rid of coach Vogel. He's the scapegoat for this year. So they need to decide what is your identity? Are you still building around LeBron and AD? Are you going to blow it up more than that? Ultimately, I would trade one player, Russell Westbrook, if you can. I think I think you can find a deal for Russell Westbrook. I know that contract is ridiculous, but I, I think you could find something for him. Get that salary off the books. Trade it for some more overall depth for your roster. I mean, if you can make that trade back to the Wizards, even though they would say no, I would make that trade back. I'd take Kyle Kuzma back in a heartbeat, um, given what we witnessed from the Lakers this year. I think a similar thing needs to happen with the Nets. Trade one of these stars. Make a decision who, who that's going to be. It's not going to be KD. Trade one of these stars. Get more depth. On that roster, let some of these older veterans go uh, their separate ways. Some of them, I know, are on expiring deals. So um, get some more depth on that roster. Uh, quick note as well, I do not blame Coach Nash uh, for the loss. There's a, a great thread that I retweeted on Twitter that you can read about. Nash wasn't hired as a tactician, as an expert head coach. He needs to become that for this team to have the best chance of winning a title. Of course, Nash was brought in as a chemistry coach and was brought in with uh, very experienced assistant coaches. One of them, Mike D'Antoni who left the team, uh, unfortunately, but 
Nash, I, I would not fire Nash at this point. I do not blame him, um, at least not entirely, for this series loss. I do think it's bad optics for him to be doing dances on TikTok, but I believe that almost universally. Um, call me old and grouchy, whatever. All right. So we've covered the Nets. And now those two teams that we just talked about, the Lakers and the Nets, they were both favorites to get to the finals um, at the start of this season. Everyone said, oh, the Lakers are old, but man, this roster is crazy. Um, And then the Nets just took it up another notch. Like when they, at the time, when they got Patty Mills is a huge deal. When LaMarcus Aldridge was able to come out of his medical retirement, it was a huge deal. They were bringing... Blake Griffin back who had some glimpses in the playoffs last year and even had a few moments this year in the playoffs, but just wasn't able to give enough to obviously get them over the hump. Uh, Both these teams were projected to meet each other in the finals by a lot of the experts out there. Both of them flamed out both of them, zero wins in the playoffs. Obviously the Lakers didn't even make the playoffs. I thought it'd be fun to look and we're going to try to do this pretty quickly but to look at the last 22 years of champions. And I want to make the case that if, if I'm an NBA GM and if you are an NBA GM, you should build your roster based on two superstars, not three. Don't go for that all out three max contract superstars. Okay. Go for two and then keep some depth around that roster. You're going to look at a lot of these teams from the 2000s and see that that's kind of how they're constructed. Not to mention, you could say the Bulls, although like 96, 97 Bulls, one of the greatest teams in NBA history, no doubt. Still, based off of a dynamic duo that had a ton of depth and great role players around them. Now, it has to go without saying that to win an NBA title, you have to have a great deal of luck. A lot of things have to fall in place. A lot of things have to break your way. You have to have health. All these things come into play. But let's take a look. I pulled this up on Wikipedia. You can see the highlighted teams are the champions. And shoot, let's start. So we mentioned the Bulls, dynamic duo. The Jazz team that they also that they faced in 97 and 98, also a dynamic duo. Stockton and Malone with a lot of depth, a lot of savvy veteran leadership around them. The Bulls, though, the champions, Jordan and Pippen, of course. You knew that. The 99 San Antonio Spurs, yes, it was a lockout season, but the Spurs, who do you think of when you think of the 99 Spurs? Draft luck, getting Tim Duncan who was rookie of the year, who was NBA ready from day one out of Wake Forest. And you think of David Robinson, who was, uh, of course, savvy NBA veteran, still um, a, a great player at that time. A lot of depth on that roster. 2000 Los Angeles Lakers. Who do you think of? Do you name three players or do you name two? You name two. You name Kobe and Shaq, obviously the 2000 Los Angeles Lakers. There's Ron Harper on that team. There are pieces from that Bulls team. Um, You also had a lot of savvy vets on that team as well. Robert Ori, Derek Fisher, a younger Derek Fisher at that time. But you had depth on that roster. A lot of different matchups you could play. Obviously, bigs, way more important in the league back then. This is when Shaq was changing the league. We had the Lakers with that three-peat, but it was Kobe and Shaq. When did the Lakers fail? When did the Lakers fail to win the title? 
Well, it was in 2004. And what happened in 2004? They got Gary Payton. They got Carl Malone. They got more egos on that team. It was considered a super team at the time. Uh, it's it's not what I would think of as the modern day NBA super team because of the age of Carl Malone and Gary Payton. But it was considered a super team at the time. A lot of egos. And it imploded. Hmm. Sounds familiar. The Detroit Pistons, who were like the ultimate team team. I mean, Chauncey Billups was the standout. He was the finals MVP, but he was just barely an all-star. Um, so the Detroit Pistons, the team's team, the, the team that hustled, played defense, Tayshaun Prince beat that 2004 Los Angeles teams. Uh, 2003, I should mention right before that 2004 year, the San Antonio Spurs. I mean, the Spurs and Lakers traded off for a while here, as you probably remember. Spurs led by Tim Duncan at that point with a lot of other pieces around him. Uh, they beat the New Jersey Nets, some of the lower rated finals. Um, I mean, you look at like 2005, Justin and I talked about this last year during the finals. San Antonio Spurs beat the Detroit Pistons, one of the lower rated finals in NBA playoffs history. In 2006, the Miami Heat won, won the NBA title. So there's kind of an outlier from the Lakers Spurs trend. Who do you think of when you think of the 2006 Miami Heat? Well, you think of Dwayne Wade, an insane season, an insane series. Some say rigged because of the free throws he was able to uh, accumulate there. Uh, and Shaq, Wade and Shaq. And then a lot of savvy vets, a lot of depth on that roster. Uh, Jason Williams, uh, Gary Payton, Antoine Walker, um, Alonzo Mourning, a lot of players. Uh, filling out that heat roster, San Antonio Spurs. Look, we're, we're getting Ginobili and Parker are coming more into their own on this Spurs team, but it's still very much reliant on Tim Duncan leading the way. I wouldn't call that a super team. And also unlike your super teams, like let's say uh, one of the first teams we think of is, is that LeBron James, big three Miami heat super team. Um, that was born out of free agency rather than the Spurs who did it through the draft and did it through scouting, did it organizationally bringing those players in uh, grassroots. You could say the Boston Celtics. This was maybe what I would consider to be the original super team. Uh, no disrespect. It was a great team made a lot of sense. Them coming together. You would want to do that move. Uh, so look, I, I'm not, um, the anti-super team, like I think you have to take the best opportunity that's available to you as a GM. So my argument is not criticizing super teams for forming. I actually supported LeBron James going to the Miami Heat. My argument is that for success, limit your team to two max contracts and then fill out that roster. Make sure the culture of your team is tight. Um, so the Celtics, KG, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce, you could say that was a super team that was successful. Um, they were all savvy vets at that point. I keep saying savvy vets, but hey, we know that's important in a title team. Um, but yes, you could say, hey, here's a clear example of a super team working out. And I would agree with that. The Lakers, 2009, 2010, they repeat. What do you think of when you think of those Laker teams? Kobe and Powell. Kobe and Powell. Uh, you think of Lamar Odom, you think of Andrew Bynum, 
but I would not qual- I would not classify that team as a super team. Uh, you think of Ron Artest also, Metal World Peace joining that team, um, especially in that 2010 series when they beat the Celtics. But I would not consider that. I would consider that a two superstar team with a lot of depth. Um, the Mavericks in 2011 beat the the first iteration of the super team, Big Three Miami Heat, the villain Miami Heat team. And that team was, what do, you, what do you think of when you think of the Mavericks? You think of the rise of Dirk Nowitzki. It was one star. It was your MVP, Dirk Nowitzki, and then a lot of other talented veterans around him, a very deep roster, a Tyson Chandler, a Jason Kidd, um, uh, Sean Marion, uh, a very, very talented roster, but not uh, several max contracts on there, at least not initially. Miami Heat, the super team. Look, I, I, I would argue when you look at the roster of the Miami Heat, like, like the Celtics in 2008, you look at that roster, it's stacked, it's loaded. Um, so not only did they have KG, Paul Pierce, Rondo, um, Ray Allen, of course, they had a lot of other great players uh, that they brought in themselves. Uh, they built a really nice roster in that 2018. You look at the Miami Heat team. Yeah, you had, like you brought Shane Battier in, which was really good, really helpful. Mike Miller was helpful. Mike Miller was not... Um, a a fantastic NBA player at that point. Um, He was a guy who could hit some threes for you. Uh, So that roster was pretty scarce. And I would argue the heat team won because of LeBron's greatness, because of Wade's greatness, they want, they were able to win in spite of a very flawed roster. They did make it to four straight finals. As we know, the 2010s dominated by LeBron making NBA finals I think more in spite of the flaws of of the super team. If you had LeBron and Wade and Bosch was traded for more depth, more balance on that roster, or if you had maybe what would have made more sense, although it would have been harsh and you couldn't have done it to the fans. If you had traded the oldest of those three, Dwayne Wade never would have happened because he's almost a heat lifer. But um, if you had done that and had your super team be, or your, your team rather, LeBron, Bosch, and then pieces. I mean, maybe LeBron never leaves that team. 2014, the Spurs win the title. I would argue not a super team. You had Tony Parker elevating his game at this point in his career. Tony Parker was a real threat in this series. You had the rise of Kawhi Leonard uh, as the finals MVP who was drafted by the Spurs, as you remember. And you had an aging Tim Duncan, not the Tim Duncan of old, but a veteran able to contribute very well in that series. All right. Then we get to one of the greatest teams of all time. I mean, one of the greatest rosters of all time. I think like 2018 or 2017 Golden State Warriors, you are in the argument for the greatest team ever. Like, I I think there's just so much power, uh, firepower on that team. Uh, great teams of the past would be hard pressed to keep up. Um, so you have the 2015 Golden State Warriors get it done over the very injured Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James. Um, now it should be pointed out the Cleveland Cavaliers, yes, uh, a super team in their own right. 
the roster was gutted a little bit. Uh, you remember they traded away Andrew Wiggins. Kind of funny that he ended up on the Warriors now. Um, but they had Kevin Love, LeBron James, and Kyrie Irving as the foundation of that team. Definitely a super team. Golden State Warriors, I would also say, wound up being a super team. But remember, this was a lot of luck in the draft that built this roster. They drafted Steph Curry. They drafted Klay Thompson. They drafted Draymond Green. It's a little bit different than, say, like a 2008 Boston Celtics. So it, it wound up being a super team, especially when KD gets in the mix out of free agency. But it's... A unique circumstance and that that culture was built through Steph Curry, through building this team, this team growing up together uh, through the draft. Um, so I don't think the Warriors, I don't think it's fair to call them like a, a negative connotation super team like you might do with the big three Miami Heat team uh, or even that 2008 Boston Celtics team. Um it's just different because they're a lot more homegrown, especially this 2015 Warriors team uh, that wins the title. So they win. Uh, Cleveland pulls off the most improbable comeback in NBA Finals history, uh, down three games to one. They come back to win it. Um, we all know what happened there. Draymond, controversial suspension. Should Cleveland really have won that series? I don't know. We'll always argue about that um till our last breath uh but cleveland gets it done yes i would say a super team um the warriors 2017 2018 yes an iteration of a super team i think you'd have to say because they got kevin durant to come to their team shows how strong that culture was that they were able to pry him from oklahoma um and shows um uh, just really an anomaly, not like a superstar, especially with the killer instinct that KD has shown through a lot of his career for him to go to a team that beat him in the playoffs just recently. Um, I, I do think it's a fair point of criticism in Kevin Durant's legacy. And uh, I think he took a hit for that in public perception. Um, and that that's something that will always be remembered. Um, now, 2019, Injuries hamper the Warriors. They're not able to finish. Who beats them? The Raptors. Who do we think of when we think of the 2019 Raptors? Well, of course, Kyle Lowry, kind of the heart and soul of the team, sort of the culture piece of that team, much like Steph Curry was um, to the Warriors and, and is to this stage of the Warriors. Uh, but Kawhi comes in as a mercenary. So it's the Kawhi and Kyle Lowry show. They traded away DeMar DeRozan at that point. And it was those two leading the way with some veterans coming in. Marcus Gasol, as you probably remember, uh, they had a young Siakam um, and the Raptors get it done. But again, I don't think anyone would argue the Raptors team there was a super team. The Los Angeles Lakers of 2020. It's a dynamic duo team. Yes, you had Dwight Howard on there, but he's not Orlando Magic Dwight Howard. He is... Coming off the bench, Dwight Howard. You had Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Arguably, I, I think you can say one of the best dynamic duos in NBA history, though short-lived. That 2020 season, a uh, really, really solid roster. I mean, hard to stop. And the top defense in the league. Top defense in the league. Uh, even with, in spite of the star power, can be hard to get a super team to play that caliber of defense. And then... 
last year you have the Bucks beating the Suns. Are the Bucks a super team? You let me know uh, what you think. I wouldn't say so. Um, they had Giannis and Middleton were kind of the two uh, main production guys. Of course, the role players such as Brooke Lopez, uh, Bobby Portis, who contributed quite a bit. And then your your other big contract player, like basically a max contract player, who was the big get that season for them, Drew Holiday. I would not argue that he makes them a super team. So like Giannis, Middleton, and Holiday. I don't know. Is that a super team? I would argue no. Maybe you'd argue against me just to argue pro super teams. So let's take a look. We have, I'm just going to list off the teams based on my assessment there, if they're a super team or not. So we will give a nod to the 2008 Boston Celtics. Crazy good roster. Crazy good championship team. Uh, We have the 2012 and 2013. So there's three champions. We have, again, Warriors homegrown. So based on that argument with the draft and the front office that they had, kind of qualify them like the San Antonio Spurs. Um, Also similar in that, you know, Clay, definitely an all-star. Steph, definitely an all-star. There were points where Tony Parker was definitely an all-star along with Tim Duncan. Um, So I guess you could say the star power a little bit higher on the Warriors teams. But based on that homegrown argument, I, I think that's valid too. Let's tell you what, tell you what, since this is controversial, I will give them the KD one. So we'll add two to that count. Cleveland Cavaliers also of 2016, not to skip anybody. Yes, that is a super team. Raptors, no. Lakers, no, in 2020. It's two guys and a lot of depth on that roster, a lot of defense. Bucks, no. So based on the Lakers and the Nets being eliminated right now, uh, to to my mind, the teams we listed off, there are no super teams remaining. Um, so it's safe to say, it's safe to guess, a super team is not going to win the title this year. So based in the last 22 years, we have a total of six teams that I counted that are super teams that won the title. The more traditional way to do it and seemingly the more consistent way to do it is get two max contract guys on your roster. Get your Batman and your Robin and then get the rest of the Justice League, so to speak, around them. Or maybe that's your Batman and your Superman, however you want to organize these superheroes. And then the rest of your Justice League around them because we know Aquaman is not a max contract guy. Sorry, Aquaman. That's not nice. What do you guys think? Do you agree? Do you think this will be a trend in the future of the NBA? I don't know because so often with how free agency goes, with how close-knit players are with each other, with how they talk in the offseason and during the season, it, it may just be always when you have a chance to get a third max contract guy, you take it if you're a GM because people maybe call you crazy if you don't do that. But look what happened to the Nets. Cautionary tale. Look what happened to the Nets. You had three guys, only saw them play, you know, less than 20 games together, but they were one of the most potent offenses, it seemed, in NBA history. Um, The egos tore them apart. 
you kept three max contract level guys when you got Ben Simmons. One of them didn't even show up. And a lot of people question where Kyrie's head was at, etc. I just think three stars vying for the alpha dog position just leads to bad outcomes. We have a pretty big track record of that now. Anyway, we've been going for a while. I got to wrap up. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let me know your thoughts. Let me know. Should it be two superstars on these teams? I think that's a smart way to build a team from now on. I think history shows us that. And maybe we'll see that trend moving forward. You guys take care. Have a great rest of the week. Enjoy the rest of round one and the start of round two. We'll be in touch with you again soon. More great interviews to come. You will uh, see that if you're subscribed to our feed. Take care, peace, and God bless.